like what you hear on this episode, please go ahead and sign up for the Severe MMA Patreon. It supports independent MMA, it supports the guys, and it helps us to bring content that's useful to MMA and to you. Thank you. Here's the podcast. All right, ladies and gentlemen, first up, we have a Q&A with Shawnee Podcasts. Valentina is still champion in 2024. Uh, when do we know? Halfway through 2022. Um, <laughs> I'll say yes, but maybe not. I'll say yes. Like the thing about that is with, with Shashinko, right? What, what, and the next question, okay, we, we'll put it in with the next question. Valentina achieves champ champ status. So for that to happen, she is going to have to go up and wait to find that uh, title shot vacant rather than the title vacant and beat the champion. At the moment, uh, Pena is going to be uh, rematching Nunes. So that's the fight that we're looking at going forward. That's going to be in the late summer, I think, isn't it? Or even later than that because of the Ultimate Fighter and all that shite. So it's going to be a while. Uh, she's fighting um, Tyler Sanders coming up is Valentina. Then she'll have someone else after that. There seems to be another few challengers coming. So the champ champ bit is going to be tougher. Also, the is she still champ bit might uh, very well be a function of if she goes up and way and if she tries to fight higher up. Um which might be a thing that just happens naturally or might be a thing she does to, to get uh, belted another weight class. So that'll be an interesting one. I, I would say she probably is still champion 125 pounds in 2024. Does she achieve champion status? Um, hmm. I'll say yes. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say yes. At some stage, at some stage, will it open up for her? Will she get bored of my eye? Go, yeah, yeah. Next up, we have an episode of The Chasing Pack with Ian O'Neill. And Sean Sheehan. Let's get straight into it. We talk, you know, we talk about Limerick, we talk about Kilkenny. Bellator Dublin. First thing we want to talk about. We haven't actually talked about it much on, on the main podcast or even on the Q&A. Do you know that was funny? I was talking to the missus the other day after coming in from the Q&A. And um, she was on about Bellator Dublin. She said something to me. And I, I was kind of saying, do you know what? Not one person asked about Bellator Dublin in the Q&A. And if anyone in Irish MMA has done a Q&A, and I know probably not many people have, you know, it's me really, I'm the only one doing it. So this is a question maybe I can only answer. But every time, every single time from the day MMA was born with Conor McGregor in the Helix, uh, <laughs> you know, back in 2014 <laughs> or whatever it was, every time an event is announced, whether it is Cage Wires, Dublin Cage Wires, Car Cage Wires, Belfast, UFC Dublin, Bellator Dublin, whatever it is, the questions anyone doing a Q&A will get asked is, name your top five fights for this event. Name your top three people who will get signed to Bellator or to the UFC or to KJRs from Ireland to fight in this. And I didn't have one single question, like two days or maybe a day after uh, it was announced. And like, a, you know, 20 or 30 questions on other things. So it's not like, no, we no questions coming in. And that was shocked. That shocked me a little bit. What do you think of that? First of all, maybe, maybe I'm just reading into it a little bit too much, maybe. But I don't know. I, I, I felt like that wasn't a coincidence. And is... Is there a little bit of overkill for Bellator? Is there a little bit too much Bellator coming and maybe the last card not being so great that people are thinking like, oh, will I go to this again? Will I? Now they announced Queeley versus Henderson after that, which is a great fight. And, you know, if they can get Cyborg over, if they can get James Gallagher back, maybe if they get another big fight, that'll quickly change. But Bellator Dublin now, 
the excitement level, Ian, especially you know, from a guy as yourself who's in the scene, but also from the outside looking in, being over in Canada, what what do you think of that? And what what do you think of Bellator Dublin coming up? It, will it bring the same madness that we've seen before? Yeah, it's hard to know. Like, I mean, we're we're six months out now, and and the two fighters. That's another thing. <laughs> yeah, we're six months out, and the two fighters that they announced are currently out injured. Yeah. So that's I madness. mean, Sinead, Sinead, I, Sinead is not going to be on that card. I don't. I don't. Yeah, I can't oh. see it, man. I mean, and and you know what? But Pierre Queeley, he's coming off of surgery as well, I believe, isn't he? As long as much as he hurt his rib, but it was he had to go for surgery as well, and he's coming off recovery for that as well. So. I think those little factors have something to play with. Like, but I mean, the Queeley versus Benson Hedrenson fight is a fucking fantastic fight. But I, I would agree with you. Like, I mean, it kind of went somewhat in under the radar, and I just thought it was strange that they announced it this soon. Um, it was what did, did the announcement kind of correlate with another announcement? And I think, um. You know, that announcement kind of came at the same time as kind of my. I'm going to get like hot take O'Neill here now for a minute. That Bellator Dublin announcement came at around the same time that Miles Price and Anthony Pettis was announced. Uh, yeah. So I wonder. And around the same time as um, the London card for the UFC. So I'm like, mm. Mm, there are there definitely is a bit of correlation there, but they, they do that though, don't they? They do, yeah. They've done that. They've done that loads of times before. But um, yeah, I mean, I do agree with you. Like, there's not that much. Like, I I'm fucking struggling to get excited about UFC two seven two, which at the time we're recording this is a week away. So, like, I'm a guy who kind of gets. I'm focusing on the next card, and then I get excited about that when I'm kind of studying that card. But this card is so far away, and fighters that have been announced for it are injured right now. James Gallagher is injured right now. I mean, it's not like for all the Bellator fighters uh, that are Irish, it's been kind of a bad run of luck for them. Maybe they were just trying to release a bit of positive news, but uh, it's very far away, and lots of things can happen between now and September. Indeed, 100%. And... You know, we could be getting those questions like, who are the next Irish guys getting signed? Who are the Irish guys going to be on the card? What you would want to see from that card? Like, th- uh, let me throw that question at you and we, we will move on from this because this is look probably a topic we'd be better off talking about in six months' time. What do you, like, what do you want to see from that card? We've seen title fights now. We've seen Irish guys in the main events. We've seen lots of different things. Well, what do you think, you know, people want to see out of the card more than anything else? Well, people will want to see Peter Creeley versus Benson Henderson, so I hope that goes down. Um, if Sinead Cabin is fit and healthy, you know, they've announced her for the title shot again. So, I mean, if you're talking about James Gallagher being on that card, um, where is he going to go? Like, because he's a guy who was slotted in there as the main event and of course started off with co-main event and then moved up to the main event. And I think that he is a worthy main event guy for a Bellator Dublin show do you think that they have him maybe fight on the third card down and just make it a super, super, super card altogether? Because like you said, yeah, it is. Like, I mean, if you're thinking about a big co-main event slot, I think Queeley and Henderson fits the bill there. And I think if you're going to bring Cyborg over to fight Sinead Kavna, well, you're going to have to put that as the main event. So, I mean, if you really want to stack the card and if you want to get the buzz back because... Let's be real. The last Bellator card was great. A lot of great moments on it as well, but it didn't really match up to the ones previously. So, I mean, it's going to be interesting to see what to do or whether James Gallagher is going to be wanting to to 
fight in the US now from going on, but I don't know if James Gallagher, I don't know, it's hard to know. Like he Gallagher's coming off a loss, maybe not having the pressure of a main event or a core main event or carrying an event might be something that he might enjoy. I think, you know, it's not beyond the realms of possibility that they're going to have Gallagher, Queeley and Sinead Kavanagh. There's going to be plenty of other Irish on it. Like, I'd be looking at the likes of Dara Kelly be coming back to fight on it on the undercard. Probably Danny McCormick will be coming back to fight as well. Um, I know that you were kind of suggesting somebody else maybe making her come back on the Q&A there recently as well. Um, so it'll be interesting to see. I mean... Brian Moore, you'd have to be expecting might be back on the card as well. Um, maybe Liam McCourt. I mean, there's there's only there's a, those are a lot of big fighters, big name fighters that that I think probably would be best for Bellator just to stick on. Let's stack this fucking card in September. Just put a ball of Irish fighters on it. Have Sinead versus Cyborg as the title fight, and and let's have some fun, Jack. Exactly. Couldn't want a better myself. Next up, we have an episode of The Speaker's Corner discussing MMA media and the state of MMA media with E. Spencer Kite and Shawnee Podcasts. question that I would like to ask, as two gentlemen that have covered the sport for a number of years, how do you feel the state of MMA media and covering MMA is right now Spencer Kite so I want to preface this by saying that I think there are a number of tremendous people covering the sport doing doing incredible work at all kinds of small outlets at all kinds of different places that are hustling that are that are busting their ass in the darkness outside of the sunshine outside of the light don't get the recognition and attention that their efforts merit. On the larger scale though, like at the, at the highest end, it's not necessarily my cup of tea. And that's why I started a newsletter. It's, it's not necessarily the things I look for from major sites because for me personally, I want stories about these athletes. I want technical breakdowns. I want stories about these upcoming cards. I'm not bothered by the latest Twitter happenings and the latest who said what to who. And, you know, people, people saying what they want to say about somebody without the full context of things being presented. And so for me, it's not the same as it was. And, and look, times change. Everything is cyclical. Everything runs in cycles and, and we move away from how it used to be. And all of us that are a little older get nostalgic for the way it used to be back in the day. And, and so for me, it's, it's not quite what it was, you know, let's say seven to 10 years ago when I was really, really starting to make this my career. But I do think there is good work being done. I do think there are good people in the field. I just think you have to work to find it a little bit more or broaden your horizons and the scope of who you follow and the scope of who you listen to and where you get that information. Because there are a lot of places that don't have the 
traction than a lot of people that don't have the profile of the most established and most popular or loudest voices in this sport that I think are doing better work than some of those people. And so it's just a, it's just in a different place in terms of where you're going to get or where I'm going to get the things that I want the most, which is why I've come to you lads so frequently lately. So before I chuck it over to you, Sean, Mm -hmm. I'm going to ask you, firstly, do you agree with, with uh, Spencer's point? And if you do, how do you think that impacts MMA generally? Uh, I, I do agree with Spencer's point. Absolutely. Um, and I think it affects MMA badly, uh, because if you look, if you look at, if you're new to a sport and you go in and you look for a voice to tell you like, like I, I, I've been following Formula One for years and I've, I've always loved it. And, you know, with Drive to Survive coming back and I've really kind of gotten into it. And recently I was like looking for a few podcasts and looking for, you know, websites and stuff to consume stuff. It's, it's always a thing I've just watched by myself, consumed it myself. I never really read any of the media or, and I decided to kind of do that. Right. And, I'm sure a lot of people have had that experience as well for MMA, you know, since the pandemic, but even further back with the Rossi era, the, the, you know, the tough era, the McGregor era, the Brock era, whatever it might be. And if we're looking at someone to come in this era, let's say the, the pandemic era, which we are in it, there are two things I think that kind of stick out to me. First of all, uh, which is kind of mirroring MMA itself. There are a lot of people. There are a lot of websites. Like if you Google, you know, uh, UFC uh, on you know UFC two seven four or whatever the fucking card coming up is preview on the Friday before it. You will get a lot of fucking answers there, a lot of them. Which is the right one? How do you click on it? How do you know? Who do you know? And as a spinster says, there you usually go out to like the guy with the biggest numbers or the one uh, with the you know the the most Twitter followers or whatever it might be, and read that one or watch that one or have a look at that one. And it's harder, I think, for newer people to actually find and consume what is the best. It takes a while, you know. We talked about the barriers to entry into MMA media. The barriers to entry also exist for those trying to consume MMA media. So that is a big thing. And the reason why MMA media has become what Spencer said it has become there is because of that. When someone Googles something to find their MMA media that they're going to consume, the one with the biggest SEO score, whatever the fuck that means, comes up and they'll find that and they'll consume that. So what are the people who are most concerned about getting more people in to look at their stuff going to do? They're going to work their stuff around that SEO score or that, that Google score, or whatever it's called, to get people in there. You know, if that's a, p- a picture of fucking Paige Van Zandt on her Instagram, more than it is a breakdown of Davy Grant's left hook, then which do you think the fucking article is going to be written on? You know? Which should you, <laughs> which you think is going to do it? So that is where it's gone. Now, there are people out there. Severe and May is one of them. Who, if somebody asked myself or Graham, can we do an article on Paige Van Zandt and get our top ten best pictures of the last year? They would. I don't think they'd be writing for Severe anymore. Severe and May anymore. Honest, I genuinely mean that. They would. They wouldn't be. You, you see, Harry and and I'm sure uh, the lads working for Severe may have seen small things that people have done and myself and Graham will immediately immediately not allow them to go up or tell people not to do them again in the future look mistakes happen of course always but 
we have decided to do that and that has probably hurt us in the SEO score that's probably hurt us in the amount of money we earn from ads or whatever it might be but I feel like we started up a Patreon and people signed up for it maybe it has helped us there and works out at 7 in now it doesn't because we're not earning that much money from, <laughs> from Patreon but there are people out there who have taken that to we're earning from Spencer yeah, and Harry as well fair play to you. Uh, and everyone listening to this so I love you all but we have taken that decision because we want to do it the right way. Now, not to get right back into the right way or whatever it is. And maybe Spencer can talk about that because I talked about that for like 50 minutes the last day. And I went back and I listened to it. And I feel like it needed another podcast. So I'm kind of glad we're doing another podcast talking about it. But there is that juxtaposition and that, uh, you know, that placement of uh, consumable media and why it's placed where it's placed and by who it's placed like if spencer is running a website he's going to place okay he's going to place stuff there that'll you know get clicks and he's going to place news there you know if <laughs> maybe not if Stephen watches fights john jones next week like having Stephen watches versus john jones will get a lot of clicks you know an article on that and if especially if you're to break that news but it's also like it's not groundbreaking journalism or anything like that it's a good solid perfect article no problem with it but I'd like to think he'd also have a breakdown of, you know, Luigi Vanderimi's takedown game or whatever it might be, you know, if, if Harry was working for him and he wanted to write that article. I think that is the kind of difference. Like Harry came to me the other day with an article and he said, I want to do uh, a breakdown after UFC London. Do you know what? I actually want to do a second one as well. And what did I say to you, Harry? work away do it let's do it love it and there was literally two or three words like that absolutely perfect I don't care if seven people read it or seven thousand or so hundred thousand people read it if Harry wants to do it if it's good stuff that's what we want to put up in Severe Made that's what we want to put up here now that is a tough decision to make because you know we, we I've taken this decision and Graham has taken the decision to, to do that knowing that it might not be the best long-term decision in terms of making money and doing different things but in terms of your reputation in terms of what you want to do in terms of the, the sport you love in terms of the reason why you're doing it i think it is the right decision next up we have snippets from two of this month's episodes of the hot topic what about Sahuda though like I, I i think Sahuda should come back at 145 and fight for the title and i you know i have been I've been roaring and shouting for Arnold Allen to get a title shot. and I'd love to see the Max fight again, although I do think it's a bit early. But I'd like it. I know that's the question you're going to ask me, first of all, and I've answered for you. I'd like to see him come back there. What do you think? I I would kind of prefer to see him go back to 135 and 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 go back and challenge and cement that. You know, there's a, I still think there's a few unanswered questions at 135 for Henry. I think... You know, if he came back there and maybe he doesn't want to cut the weight, like, what are we going to do? Are we going to put him in 145? And if he wins the belt, is he going to just go leave again? 155. What is it? He's going for four world, what, four, yeah, four. Three, three different ways, four. That'd mm-hmm. be something going, wouldn't it? But I, I, I don't know. I think um, probably the money fight for him right now is is going up to 145 because it's a new challenge. It's a new belt. It create history. Uh, it makes sense. Um, but I think what would further cement his legacy if he was to come back and reclaim the 135 pound belt and then go up and challenge for what at the 145. 145 is, it's not stale at the minute, but it's getting close to being like, there's a lot of challengers coming up and we need to see new challengers there. And, I think we'd probably be going against what we're saying and allowing these new challengers come up to come up the likes of Arnold Allen and stuff like that. I think we'd be 
kind of, I think the 145 division has been like so stop start over the last couple of years that we finally have come into a champion who is defending the belt, who is, you know, a, a, one of the top 145ers in the world. And I'm not too sure if, if the answer to kind of reignite that division again is to, is to bring Henry back straight away. I think I would like to see him come back to 135 uh, challenge here. I think that personally, I think he beats... I think he beats pretty much any of the top five guys in the 135 pound division right now. Um, I'm not so sure about how successful he would be at 145. I think uh, I'd be interested to see how the size comparison is. Um, I think he'd struggle with the the reach advantage of Volkanovski, and the uh, Volkanovski is not specifically tall or rangy fighter, but he That's does fight at length. Sense. He d- he does fight long, but. If he if he came up there and he fought Max, I think it'd be a massive issue. If he fought Arnold Allen, I think it'd be a massive issue. But the fact that Volkanovski is very small for that division, I think it's right. And my, my reason why I want to see him fight now, I, I look, I'd like to see him fight one forty five. If win or lose, go back down to one thirty five after that. But I I think right now, if you are to take that extra step by going to one thirty five, all you're doing there is kind of taking a risk. And you're risking like a massive fight and you're risking a fight that is a historic fight because if he wins it, he's the the first ever three-way champion. And like, if you put him in there with Sterling, that's a very tough fight for him because Sterling is, is Sterling taller than, than, uh, than Volkanovski? He might, he might be, but he's, he fights long and he's a rangier type of guy. Although Volkanovski fights very long for his size and his, uh, his build, I suppose as well, but uh, look, I wouldn't necessarily pick Suhudo to win that fight. I'm not saying that at all. But if you are bringing back Suhudo, and like the, uh, what you said there is 100% correct as well. Because we're actually, and especially me, I'm going against what I've been saying for a long time, that I want new blood and we need to move on with that division. Now, Suhudo is kind of new blood, I suppose, and he's moving on with the division a, a little bit at 145. Um, so, and look, it is going to take it's, it's his track record, though, that's going to be the problem. Yeah, it's what it's what does Volkanovsky wants? What does Sehulo want? Right? What they want might be different to what the UFC wants because we have to remember how Sehulo left the UFC, just retired on the spot, left two divisions in limbo, and it was completely unexpected. And I think it was a, a strategic move, and I thought it was the wrong move for him to make at oh, that time. Definitely. I think that there's Definitely. no way he should have left at that time. I think he was just picking up ahead of steam. Now he kind of has to work a little bit and he has to kind of prove himself again to get back that head of steam. Like Henry Cejudo is a phenomenal, phenomenal fighter. And he has shown that at 125. He's shown that at 135. And I think that he can do it at 145 as well. Before you do, go, go and subscribe, go over to SoundCloud, go over to Spotify, iTunes, wherever you are, click the uh, subscribe button, and if it's, you know, if you get your automatic downloads or whatever, I don't know if you can do that, but uh, you can do that in Podcast Republic, actually, where I have it, so if you're using that, click on the automatic downloads, and it'll you wake up in the morning, it'll be uh, it'll be there for you, and they do that with Severe May Podcast while they're there as well, but the Old Triangle mainly, it's a great podcast, we want to see that grow, and Andy and uh, Ian and Quilch are doing an absolutely fantastic job, so please support that, if you're supporting us here, please support uh, that as well because it's a, it's a great endeavor but Ian Gary it's it's been a weird couple of weeks for Ian Gary and you know we talked about it briefly on, on the Zoom last night uh, and Artem kind of made a couple of good points I think and, and a few other people made a good point a few good points that and I like I thought Harry Kearns made a great point uh, it was a weird time that he said it because Peter Queen just came on the call and he's like what the fuck is that about but he was talking about him being like Harry the fishmonger Kearns the fishmonger <laughs> yeah, the, the angler <laughs> yeah, but he, he was a big fish 
in a, spa, a small bond in Cage Warriors and every move he made, people treated him as if he was a superstar. And now he comes to the UFC and he still thinks that's going to be happening and he's acting that way. But his performance in the first fight, you know, was obviously an unbelievable knockout, but he got caught over and over and loads of people were saying, oh, this is the guy you're supposed to be great. And in his second performance, it was just a very controlled, dominant performance. One that if you've watched all the rest of his fights, you're thinking, oh, fuck, that's a good performance because that's something he needs to show in his career going forward. Whereas if you only saw the first performance, you saw you're like, well, he was shit the first time. He almost got fucking knocked out. And now this time he's just pure defensive and he's rubbish. Like... And he was obviously wasn't rubbish. That's me doing an impression of a uh, casual. But and then he comes out and he's acting like he's the best fighter in the world. Whereas maybe people who have seen him the whole way through are kind of thinking, right, fair enough. This is the way he's kind of always been. But maybe a little bit we're hearing a little bit more from him because he's doing you know thirty minutes of a press conference with you know. 15 questions before it he's doing 30 minutes of a press conference with 15 20 questions after it he's doing three or four different interviews like probably people in america who don't know much about him and are just asking him are you going to be the next conor mcgregor are you going to be a world champion and he's answering those questions it's it is hard it is going to be hard to not be like that because like when you ask in a question uh, about like his his ability or about where he's going to go he's going to tell you he's going to be a world champion because he fully believes that the fact that he gets asked that over and over and over I think people are kind of getting a little bit sick of it whereas you know I know a few people have said even my interview with him and I, not to big up myself but like I've asked him no, those you're, questions you're right though that's, that's yeah. he, he, he seemed more authentic in the interview we did with you and like, we talked about this on the L Triangle as well and um yeah, like look, I kind of talked to the El Triangle about how it just it it doesn't seem authentic a lot of the time, and I don't want to be shitting on the kid because like I want his Ian to do well and I want him to be received well, um, and I wish him nothing but the best. But it it's not coming across as authentic. Whereas the, the interview that you did uh, with him, and, and that's not my opinion. Well, it is my opinion, but it's also if you look at any comment section, like you have fucking Henry Cejudo saying we've got a new king of cringe, and I think it's because it doesn't seem authentic and it's this, it's repetitive, um. So it's you know it's going against him, even though he may believe it, it may be what he wants to say, but just when you hear it over and over again, um, it just hasn't been received well. Whereas your interview with them, it's like <laughs> there's like a fine line. I feel that Ian. Ian kind of straddles a lot of the time where he's Ian has been arrogant since for all I know probably since the day he was born um, like he's been arrogant uh, throughout his amateur and throughout his early pro career on the Irish scene but he always strayed on the side of it being endearing and it's a very fine line to go from just pure arrogance where it's like oh I want to turn this guy off I want to, you know I want to change the channel to okay this guy is arrogant but he knows it but he's also got the humidity and he, he seems like you know he puts a smile on your face and when I was listening to the interview that you did with him he was on the right side of that but oftentimes when he's doing the other interviews I don't think he is now we have a snippet from The Contender a podcast ran by Shawnee Podcasts and Mr. Ian O'Neill. And this is surrounding UFC middleweight Alex Pereira. But Alex Pereira, right? 
I'm looking at his kind of kickboxing record here and you know we all know the reason why they're putting Alex Pereira there it's because of the 4th to the 3rd 2017 third round left hook KO against a guy named Israel Adesanya and a fight in 2016 a unanimous decision victory against a guy named Israel Adesanya and that's the reason why we're even talking here today that's the reason why the UFC are putting Pereira in with a guy who's ranked you know, I'll pull up the rankings here in a second, but rank right up towards the top of that division. First of all, and first things first, do you think that's right? Like, are the UFC doing the right thing? Is this the right guy? Is it the right decision? And f- on, you can answer all those questions while also at the same time telling us, Ian, Alex Pereira, is he the guy that warrants it for what happened in those fights with Adesanya? Absolutely not, in my opinion. I mean... Um, if you're to ask me those questions again, I kind of forget the first ones, but I'm going to give you my opinion anyway. I think a wise man once said to you on an interview, Sean, it's all narratives. It's all narratives. Mad narratives. Baloney. Mad narratives. And it is all baloney too. So those two statements made can be kind of talked about here when it comes to Alex Pereira. The UFC, um, and we've spoken about it time and time again about the middleweight division, probably the weakest division in the UFC right now. And um, I mean, um, I think they're trying to create these narratives. They're trying to create these fights because they don't have any challengers for Israel Adesanya. I think we all grew into the fairy tale of Israel Adesanya when he was on the come up, when he was winning the title. And I think we're at a stage right now where it's all getting a little bit stale in the middleweight division. He's having to fight guys twice. Um, and, you know, it gets a bit boring after a while, to be honest. Yeah. And, you know, the UFC are trying to create new challenges and they're trying to create these narratives. And, I think they're going about it the wrong way because you're talking about a guy who is going to be coming in here and fighting Sean Strickland. Um, I think on topology, it says it's a confirmed bout for um, July 30th on a fight night card. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think you're talking about Pereira coming in there. If, and it's a big, if he beats Sean Strickland, being tossed in there against Israel Adesanya in probably his fourth, is it his fourth UFC fight? Third, I think, is it? Third, mm-hmm. could be his third. And there's guys that fought yeah. for titles uh, after after less fights. Mm-hmm. But um, when it comes to his mixed martial arts record, he's only five and one. So, I mean, in go jogging my memory, someone that only has, say, maybe, will have maybe six, seven fights, Brock Lesnar is the only one I can think of that would have fought for a title with less fights. Um, but Brock Lesnar was a phenom. He was a, a, a very athletic man at heavyweight. Uh, Alex Pereira is a kickboxer who has found mixed martial arts, who realistically was losing the second fight to Israel Adesanya before he knocked out Israel Adesanya. I watched that fight. He was losing that fight before he got he caught Israel Adesanya. And I think if anyone was to look back at that fight, they would see that. 
But if anyone has to look back at a kickboxing fight and try to get anything from a kickboxing fight and compare to a mixed martial arts fight, they're two completely different fights. Yeah. Next up, we have another snippet from the Speaker's Corner. This time, a quite controversial topic, a topic discussing journeymen in MMA and their relation to journeymen in boxing. The topic of this week's Speaker's Corner is journeymen. In boxing, journeymen are a, it's a profession, right? It's a, it's a well-respected profession. You go in there, you go up against young, hungry prospects. You give them good looks, interesting looks. You may get bowled over and around. You may give them three rounds, four rounds, five rounds, whatever it is. But you push them, you test them. You offer your experience as a journeyman to that boxer in order for them to get better under the bright lights. You also offer them a way to to build an undefeated record that helps them be marketable, right? In MMA, the word journeyman isn't really used. The word can is used, right? And those people are oftentimes no, uh, seen as derogatory, right? There is a, a, a feeling in MMA about you should take the toughest fights at all times, you know, and you shouldn't be building records. You shouldn't be padding records, as we've heard a lot, specifically from Irish fighters, about not wanting to pad their record. Do you think that journeymen have a place in MMA? And if they do have a place in MMA, should we respect them? Uh, yeah, yes, I absolutely uh, think they do. But there, there needs to be a distinction here. First of all, and I have to make someone actually made this distinction to me uh, a while back as well about about journeymen and. There is a difference in MMA between a can and a journeyman, right? And some people, look, some people can take journeyman very, very far. Maybe we'll get into that in a second. But the difference, I think, between a can and a journeyman in MMA, like a can is is street, you know? It's someone who has had 50 fights and lost 48 of them or whatever it might be, who is... Uh, look, oftentimes it is to pad records, but oftentimes as well it's uh, someone is a ticket seller on a card, their opponent falls out last second, you know, if it's a genuine injury or not a genuine injury, you know, to that opponent, and they come in, they're the only ones that'll take a fight literally on seconds notice, and they're the only way you can fill a fight because the promoters need to do it and all of this, and whether you think that's good or bad, that that's what we, that's what there exists, you know, so that happens, that is, that is can crushing, that is people who, should not really be fighting in professional MMA at any level, but just go in there to take a loss, basically. A, jur- a journeyman, I think, would, would be something different. Like, there are probably lots of, of fighters on the... Like, we don't really have them in Ireland because we don't have that many fighters, but I, I one example would probably be, you know, John Redmond, who is... he's I wouldn't call him a can by any means. He doesn't just go in there to lose, but he's also, like, not the, the best fighter in the world either. Now... Uh, John Redmond has a win over Modestus Pekowskis, so <laughs> you 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 uh you don't beat Modestus Pekowskis unless you can fight in some sort of way. But you get me. But he's seven and seventeen. That's his record, and he's you know he's lost a good few fights in a row. He fought some good up and coming guys, you know, like uh, Darwin Rodriguez. His last fight, he fought Charlie Ward. He fought uh you know he fought Leroy Barnes, and he beat Glenn Irvin. Us, he beat Modestus Pekowskis, but he beat uh, uh or he fought uh, Reese McGee last. Week. He fought Will Flory and uh, and a few more as well. You know, he's win over Kieran Davern, who you know is a very good jiu-jitsu guy and stuff. Like that to me is a guy who'll go in there. He'll give it his all. He might not 
you know, he might not win 50% of his fights even, but he's not going in there to lose either. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. And I hope he doesn't, he's not offended or anything by me calling me, calling him that. Because I think, I actually think the, the journeyman t- uh, tag in MMA should go further. Um, and even you can have journeymen on an Irish scene, a UK scene, an American local scene or whatever it might be. But I also think there's like UFC journeymen in, in a, you know, in a certain way. Like, um, and, and it's weird to say it, but like someone like, uh, a Joe Lozon or a Jim Miller or a halfway mm. San Sunso, I would call them, you know, it's, I don't know what I call them journeymen, but that, that's what, like, that's what I think in boxing, what journeymen are, if you get me. Like journeymen in, uh, no, there, there are cans in boxing as well. Don't get me wrong, but the journeyman lads who say, you know, Anthony Joshua might fight in his seventh or eighth fight who has, you know, f- uh, you know, 40 fights and he's 18 and 22 or something like that. They're, those are a little bit different as well. But in MMA, we don't really, you know, there, there is a big distinction between the absolute cans and the absolute very, very uh, top in the world like there is in boxing. But I don't think there is as much of a distinction between the journeymen who are just below the absolute very, very top in the world and the, the ones at the very, very top, where, whereas there are between the journeymen and the cans. So it's it's a little bit... I think it's, it's a little bit different to, to boxing in MMA. But I... Uh, look, the the overall question, and I think that was a distinction I had to to kind of make at the start because we, if we treat Reese Street as a journeyman, I think we lose uh, our argument for what a journeyman is and why a journeyman can be important. Finally, to round us out, we've got Shawnee Podcasts running through a host of questions from one of his most recent Q and A's. Uh, thoughts on the Barry fight and DQ? Uh, did he look UFC ready? I, well, you, I don't think anyone can argue he looked UFC ready. You know, I'm glad he came out and he said it himself that he looked nervous and he was overthrowing his shots and uh, he didn't really settle into the fight. But next time, hopefully, he will. And so I, I like that. That's a good sign, to be honest. Uh, and that's exactly how he did look. You know, it, would, it doesn't take much of an expert to look at a lad who's gone out there and just throwing bombs all the time, and, like not relaxing and, and everything. Um, on the DQ, I don't know how far I should go into it, considering I spent 20 minutes talking it on the main podcast, but look, did he intentionally poke Mike Jackson in the eye? I, in my opinion, having gone back and not just looked at the eye poke, but gone back and looked at the 10 seconds that came before it, where his hand was positioned, where his hand ended up going, I could not say for certain, and you have to be certain, I could not for say for certain it, it was... Uh, uh, it, it was uh, intended. Um, if you ask me my opinion, what I think was it intended or was it not intended, I would say without hesitation that I don't think it was intended. Uh, it looked very bad and it caused, you know, caused um, injury to Mike Jackson's eye. So for Mike Jackson to end the fight because of it, no problem with that. Or if the fight had gone on for Mike Jackson, uh, for Dean to have a point taken away from him even, I think there's no problem wrong with that. Uh, no, nothing at all wrong with that. Just, and that's the clarification I got from last week speaking to a couple of refs, which is is kind of great to get. I suppose we were all kind of looking for that clarification after last week. But 
so and that's aside from maybe the decision was made here but uh, yeah I, I don't think it was intentional I don't think it should have been a disqualification so that's my thoughts on it uh, who was the bigger Dark Horse in the Bellator uh, Bandonweight tournament Barzola or Sabatella I would say Barzola for the simple reason that I think a lot of people maybe think Sabatella can win it now because of how strong his wrestling is I think Barzola is very good you know covering these Bellator cards a lot for uh, for Sherdog over the last uh, six or seven months has really been eye opening to a lot of the talent there and you see certain guys you know Barzola was in the OC but he comes over to Sherdog and maybe there's a little bit more of an eye on him he's a little bit higher up in the ranks and suddenly people kind of realise oh shit this guy's a good fighter and I think he very much is now look if you were to ask me who I think would win it out of the two of them I would probably say Sabatella to be honest but if you were to ask me who's the, the bigger dark horse to win it it would probably be Barzola because people are probably not expecting him to win it and I think you know, I'm not saying that he will win it. I think he could, but people might be expecting Sabatello to win it after a weekend, if you get me. So, that's that. Uh, was the lowest level... <laughs> was the lowest level UFC cards we've seen in long times in terms of fighters on it? Do you know what? I sent a voice message to Spencer in the middle of it and kind of said, fucking, is it? And I think it might be. So uh, From Chris Murphy. So many of the fighters on the card were either making their debuts, had no wins in the UFC, or in the case of Paquino versus Roy, losing records with their standout win over Ike Villanueva himself as a losing record. Yeah. Look, it's happening more and more. We see it all the time because... Um, uh, of um, of the contender series and because look, look what he said we talked about earlier on they're cutting guys like Cowboy Oliveira they're cutting guys like Junior DeSantis they're cutting guys uh, like uh, like Alistair Overeem and they're replacing them with guys who are like 1-0 and and losing records and coming out of the contender series we're going to see this more and more this is not an oddity you know anymore so um, yeah it was pretty bad but it's there's a lot of bad cards at this stage apart from the money is there any justification for having fight nights in the apex Probably not, I would say. Oh, I, like, I've stopped paying attention to Dorona completely. Uh, I, look, the justification probably is, I, I assume in everywhere in America they're doing events now. Um, very hard to get venues is the one thing I would probably say. And the UFC are probably saying, look, why are we going to get into this uh, argument looking for venues all over the place? Let's wait another six months. Let's wait another year. Uh, what's another year and um, we'll do it in the Apex it actually it's co- it's costing them money to go out and do uh, I, I remember hearing before it cost the UFC or co- maybe not, I, do you know what it was WWE but the UFC wouldn't be too far off it cost them a million quid to host the show away you know let's say if they go to I don't know Sears Center or whatever it cost them a million quid to host that show now that's fair enough because you probably make you know two point two or maybe five million or whatever. Not not that much, but you know whatever they make in gate receipts. So so you know it's um they're making the money back absolutely, but like is it worth all of that for them to go to a place maybe where they wouldn't make back all that money or where they make a couple of hundred grand? Like they're making loads and loads and loads of money for the TV deal if they can put on that. Uh, TV episode let's call it that that event in their own place where they don't have to move they don't have to buy hotels they don't have to do any itinerary they don't have to maybe take on more staff to do that they're saving money hand over fist uh, by not going and putting on events when they can still make a lot of money and they can stay at home and it saves a lot of time and effort it makes sense that they're doing it there like is there any justification justification for them probably is uh, the lack of venues uh, of availability because like if you think of it Every fucking concert for the last three years has been cancelled, or two years, whatever it is. Uh, and they're all trying to get all Ed Sheeran's on here, choose the fucking Nicki Minaj is on their Wednesday, and whoever else might be, you know? So. Uh, any more thoughts on Kinahan's growing association with MMA and the announcement from MTK? Um, 
yeah, we talked about it a lot last week. I I hope the obviously I hope the growing association with MMA doesn't grow any further. I hope it fucking stops. Um, there was a thing came out last week from Gary Cruz and he said, "Oh, MTK MMA is keeping on going," and then someone else said it's not. So I don't know what the situation is there. Hopefully, we'll be able to see. As uh, as someone said, uh, I feel like this is the midpoint of a story, and I think that is true. So we'll have to wait and see on that one. Uh, look, and when I'm saying wait and see, we have to wait and see what happens. My opinion and my hope is that MTK MMA is no more. I hope all those fighters who were... Uh, look, let's be honest with it. They were stupid enough to fucking sign with him in the first place. I hope they're not stupid enough to stay with MTK and stay out in those gyms. They need to get away from them now. Um, it's not an excuse anymore that I'm a fighter and just fighting. No good. That's no good anymore. Um... It, it was never any good, to be honest. And we've we've mentioned that before, and especially in this Q and A, when people have asked and on the podcast as well. But uh, now it's it's one you can't bury your head in the sand anymore. You can't ignore it. Everybody knows it. If you have that MTK badge on you, we know what it is, or Pro Bellum, or whatever it is, uh, allegedly. Uh, <laughs> we uh, yeah we uh, yeah you you can't hide anymore. You can There's no hiding. Uh, even if you are, if even if you're not hiding, right? I'm sure there are some people signed with MTK and they never met Daniel Kinnan. He never advised them on anything. They got signed by some lad in MTK and go, look here, someone else is going to charge you twenty percent. We're going to charge you seven percent or whatever. This is completely made up numbers. And they're, oh yeah, great. Oh yeah, I mean, also, you know, we'll send you out to this training camp. We put you up, whatever it might be. I'm sure it was great. Everyone that says it, it says it was great. But where is that money coming from? Where's that money coming from? Why can they afford to take seven percent off you and the next manager's taking twenty percent or whatever it might be? Where is that money? Who's financing? What's financing? What is financing? That, that's an interesting question. What is financing that money? You know? Is, is it someone going out working an honest day, day's living or is it someone going out committing crimes? Allegedly. Which is it? You know? You need to ask yourself that question. Ask yourself, are you morally okay with losing a few hundred quid every six months and having that associated with you? I know as fucking fair hell I wouldn't be. So that's a question some people have to answer. And that's it. That's the roundup. Thanks very much for listening. As always, if you can spare the price of a pint, patreon.com forward slash pints. Support the lads, support Irish MMA. Thanks very much, and we'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.